the Memorare. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to your protection, implored your help, or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to you, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To you I come, before you I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in your mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. All across the Gulf South, it's 7 a.m. Time to wake up on Catholic Community Media. Good morning, you're listening to Wake Up on this beautiful Wednesday morning. You are tuning your heart to the truth. I'm Gabby Smith, along with David Dawson and Johnny Bear. Hey guys, good hey, morning. Hey, good morning, Gabby. How are you? Hey, I'm good, Johnny, hey. Dave. Oh, Well, we do it. we're doing <laughs> fine. It's always behind the scenes stuff that's going on. And, uh, yeah. and then we have to smile and pretend like <laughs> no, it never no, happened. No, no, I mean, that's yeah. the trouble. i got to stop <laughs> laughing. <laughs> I'm That's what I meant. <laughs> oh, yeah, Jeff Blackwell just lit me up here. That was funny. Okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, it's so good to be with you guys. Is, uh, 2024 is rushing off to a start, man. I tell you what. Yes, indeed. It, it is, it, it's mm-hmm. Christmas. You know, we took down our Christmas ornaments, uh, uh, our decorations and everything, and, and it was sort of a sadness, not because uh, – uh, I mean, we really enjoyed Christmas, and we really got into it, and it was it was a, it was a wonderful year. It just went by in five minutes. That's the sadness of it. It's it like did. I wanted I wanted to leave up the stuff for a while, you know. But know, apparently, uh, we did. Mine's coming down today. <laughs> ah, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, well, let's. We're in this first week, so let's. Uh, today, we're remembering Saint Gregory of Nyssa. He was one of the three Cappadocians who helped actually frame the uh, Holy Spirit part of the creed, in Mm. fact, so a lot of history there. So let's call on him as we pray this morning. Actually, this prayer is his prayer, so it's called the prayer of the the, the shepherd prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. O good shepherd, who carries the whole flock on your shoulders, show me where you are pasturing your flock this day. Show me the place of peace, and lead me to the good grass that will nourish me. May I be filled with the food of heaven, and may I drink from the spring that flows from your side, without which no one can come to eternal life. Call me by name this day, O Lord, so that I may hear your voice and remain in the light unconquered by the darkness. Answer me, O Lord, for you are the one my soul loves. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. St. Gregory of Nyssa. Pray for us. Pray for us. It is beautiful. Thank you so much, Johnny. We will learn more about St. Gregory later on during our Saint of the Day, but at 7 after, Johnny gives us his take on today's gospel, some wonderful insights from the readings. You definitely don't want to miss this take. In 18 minutes, Dr. Jerry Crete joins us. He's a marriage and family therapist and professional counselor. And today we are talking about managing post-traumatic stress and anxiety through his new book, Litanies of the Heart. So looking forward to this conversation with Dr. Crete. 
in 35 minutes, taking it over to the panhandle to <laughs> discuss some wonderful things with Dr. Tom Neal. He's the chief of evangelization and mission engagement of the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee. And we are talking about the baptism of the Lord, which was just a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. But of course, when Dr. Neal wants to talk about something, the answer is always a yes, <laughs> yeah. because you're going to learn something yes, new. <laughs> Some, something <laughs> so you never thought of before. Forward. He always goes in that direction. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Yes, and he's an amazing storyteller as well. So looking forward to that conversation with Dr. Neal. And in 48 minutes, we are continuing our Catholic 101 segment with Dr. Jordan Haddad. He's a professor of dogmatic theology over at Notre Dame Seminary in New Orleans and president of the St. Louis IX Art Society. And today we are answering the question, what if our conscience contradicts our faith? Hmm. Okay, so hmm. have we ever been in that boat? No, what do we do? Okay. We're we doing something bad. Yeah. What do we do? So Dr. Haddad will be answering that question for us, but stay with us. We have your gospel with Father Chris Decker and your reflection with Johnny A. Bear coming up right after the break. It's five past the hour. I'll wake up. Good Wednesday to you, I'm Father Chris Decker, and today's Gospel comes to us from Mark chapter 1. On leaving the synagogue, Jesus entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever. They immediately told him about her. He approached, grasped her hand, and helped her up. Then the fever left her, and she waited on them. When it was evening after sunset, they brought to him all who were ill or possessed by demons. The whole town was gathered at the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons, not permitting them to speak because they knew him. Rising very early before dawn, he left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. Simon and those who were with him pursued him, and on finding him said, Everyone is looking for you. He told them, Let us go on to the nearby villages, that I may preach there also. For this purpose have I come. So he went into their synagogues, preaching and driving out demons throughout the whole of Galilee. Thank you, Father Chris Decker. Well, guys, you know, during this first week of ordinary time of the new church year, we find ourselves walking with Jesus just at the beginning of his earthly mission. And it's really something because right away, the other side, the demons and the unclean spirits, they must have like felt a shockwave. Something's mm-hmm. entered into the world because, boy, are they active, you know? Yeah. It's like they're preparing for battle. In fact, they're so brazen and they're so prolific that right before this event we just heard, Jesus has to expel an evil spirit from someone right there in church in the synagogue. So it's like the other side's coaxing Jesus almost like into the open. It's like this Western movie, you know, where the bad guys are in town and they've hired a, high, a hired gun, you know, and and just to call out the new call sheriff. Call him out in the know? street. That's it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Come on out. Yep. <laughs> so here's Jesus. Is yeah. he hiding? No, he's he's everywhere, you know. So tucked between the church and in, in a minute, the whole town's going to be coming to him is this beautiful encounter, a uh, private encounter with Peter's mother-in-law. Mm. And in many ways, uh, you know, Peter's mother-in-law, she's laying there uh, sick and with a fever. And in a way, she represents the state of the church, you know, lying in bed, 
sick with fever, helpless, exhausted. It's almost like the church feeling the, the heat of hell upon it as it waits for the Messiah. And so this is where we kind of see this first little flame of the church revving up because it's the apostles who intercede and go and call our Lord to come. And then when we read these simple words as Jesus approaches the church, approaches Peter's mother-in-law here, he says, quote, he approached her, grasped her hand and helped her up. And that really in those simple little words is really the, the state of all salvation history because we call upon God because we can't help ourselves. He comes to us. He grabs not just our souls, but in this case, he by the flesh of his hand, he helps us up from death. Jesus has become incarnate and lifts us from our sin. So there's God, there's so much we can learn from this, isn't there? Uh, we can start with Jesus, with our, our image of God. You know, this is though a God who heard our prayer, who hears our prayer. He comes to us, we're helpless, he grabs our hands, he lifts us up. And uh, we can put ourselves as Peter's mother-in-law. We're laying helpless at times. We hear his voice. We open our eyes. And just imagine there being Peter's mother-in-law. You open your eyes and what do you see? You're looking up into the face of Jesus mm -hmm. himself. And you say, well, what would be my reaction? And I, and I and you start to understand Peter's mother-in-law's reaction. The first thing she says, she knows she's loved. Yeah. She knows she's been helpless. She sees there's a connection there. She He sees into her soul. What are you going to do? She jumps up to help. No words, no speech, no nothing. Mm -hmm. I got to serve you, Lord. I just have to serve you. Wow. And that's a great model for us, you mm -hmm. know? Or maybe put ourselves as some of the apostles. Sometimes you feel so helpless to help a loved one or help someone you know. The only thing you can do is intercede and pray and ask the Lord to help. But that in itself is a powerful ministry. It is. So I think all this, you know, as we were kind of, thinking about this year coming and maybe our New Year's resolutions, which if you're like me, it's already cost test tossed to the side, you know, <laughs> but, but we're looking ahead to let, you know, I think there's something that I've been really thinking a lot and praying a lot about lately. And that's this connection between our body, our instinct and our faith. And as we read in the catechism, our body and our souls actually form one single nature, not two. And so our desire all through our whole life is how to get those in harmony with each other, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's something to think about or to pray about, to have this, pray for this habitual grace, the sacramental or this sanctifying grace to serve without hesitation, to pray for an instinct of love to where we act. It's based out of prayer, but to act in love and to, in a, in a, and to uh, and bring our faith into action and someone would say well that's kind of putting it backwards you know you need to have a strong faith and then you can do your works but of course the church always says those two are hand in hand mm -hmm. but this is actually a, mm -hmm. i think a, a a truth about our, our our human nature is that when we use our hands our feet our heart we move or do these duties with acts of love it actually can stretch the soul and turn vice into virtue and you say well how is that possible well, you know, and you realize in almost every case in which we do this, we put our pride behind us, we put our, our hesitation behind us, we, we encounter Christ in ways we never expected. Mm -hmm. And like Peter's mother, like this effect obviously had on Peter because soon we hear about Peter's confession of faith, but we don't know about the impact it has on others. Mm 
And we don't need to have a lot of theology. There doesn't even need to be a lot of words here. In fact, Peter's mother-in-law didn't say a thing. She just got up and worked. Uh, and it did, and did, whenever we're called to do that, I think it's, uh, and I'm going to try to do this, to have this image planted in our mind of imagining we're waking up out of a fever when we're called to do something. We look up and we see the eyes of Jesus staring down into our soul and say, let me go to work, Lord. Yeah. And we just let him pull us up. And, and when we do that, all we're doing to someone else is exactly what he has done for us. So that's something that was the thing which you guys think about letting our bodies stretch us to bring our soul into alignment and let the spirit fill that fill that space. It may be a little backwards in some ways, but to make our in harmony both our body and our soul. Maybe this coming years we're kind of looking ahead for Lent. You, so, you know what's what interesting is we were talking about that earlier in the week when we were talking about resolutions not being met, and it was revealed to us that it's because we're trying to do it for ourselves, where we're hardwired to serve others. And that just falls right into line, is the very thing you're saying. And if you ask for that grace, I'm sure that would be granted to you. Yeah, he will bless those works. Absolutely. No doubt. Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk actually a related topic. Dr. Jerry Crete, he's, going, he's a professional counselor, talk about stress and anxiety with his new book, Litanies of the Heart. It's quarter past the hour now on Wake Up. <laughs> you just thought you were hearing Father John Ricardo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes the computer just says, I'm going to play what I want to play. And uh, uh, we were about to take the rest of the hour off while John Ricardo played. But hey, fear not. He's coming back on a little later on at 11 o'clock. And uh, we'll uh, probably see if we can't reload Saint of the Day so we can uh, talk about that a little later on. So, <laughs> Johnny, I'm going to throw it back to you or Gabby. So, Oh, wait, we're... we're, we're there we go. There we go. Father he, John's yeah. like, I don't care what you say. I'm going to go. <laughs> Father John, you gotta wait. Okay. (laughs) Sometimes. Okay. All right. So while we are trying to get a hold of Doctor Jerry Creed, I I just wanted to to add on a little bit, uh, Johnny, to what you were saying. We were talking about that because I think that's so profound that I can't believe how that is still rising to the top. Because you're talking about uh, the attitude of service and uh, what that means and what that can do for us. It, it, it really changes our attitude about everything, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and how do you make that like uh, a habit where, you know, you're, you're, your first instinct is, well, obviously. What do I get out of it? <laughs> what do I get out of it? Right. But then also not to have resentment. Okay, again, you know. Yeah, yeah. In other words, how do you get to the point to where you say, I'm not even thinking about me. I'm just thinking about them. And, this, and, and, and the key, obviously, is I was mentioning about looking up and seeing the face of Christ. If we could really have that as our first instinct, that what we're doing, what we're responding to with our body is Christ himself in the flesh in his people. Yes. First. Right, right. Then, so, uh, so that's tough, no, dude. I mean that, and, and you're absolutely right. And and it goes along the line. You know, the very thing that I have been learning, especially like for instance, uh, we're still working on getting a hold of Doctor Crete. But you know, uh, uh, the book about anxiety and and what we go through. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the very cure for that is to say, you know what? <laughs> and it's the hardest thing to do, Johnny. You said it was backwards. One of the hardest things to do is like I'm feeling miserable. Things are not going right, and everything. I'm going to stop what I'm doing. And go serve somebody but it works <laughs> and it takes, it, you, it yeah. takes you out of yourself right 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and it yeah. takes you to places and situations where at the end of the day or end of that time, you look back and go, I didn't expect that. Yes. You know? Um, yes. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll never it, forget. It, it was you, one time, and you talk about a tiny little example. There's not much to it, but it changed my entire day. I was having such a lousy day. I mean, it was miserable. It was one of those, oh, what's going to go wrong next? And it did. You know, it was just one thing after another. And I just said, I, I'm, I tell you, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, on the way home, I'm picking up flowers for my wife. For no reason. Mm-hmm. She was not expecting it at all. And I don't know where that came from. But that's all I could think about after that is, oh, she's going to be so excited. She's going to be so happy. And she was, of course. But that changed everything. I just had to come out of myself and stop being, um, what, uh, self-pitying, you know, or, yeah. or, or beating myself up. Either way, you know, it, it, it wasn't working. But as soon as I did that, little bitty thing. Uh, and sometimes it's a big thing that we can do. You know, and it changes changes everything. Even simple things like telling someone good morning or smiling at someone or telling someone to have a good day. Um, Even though we're not feeling like we're having a good day, those little steps or acts of kindness can kind of push away the bad stuff, you know, because whatever is tempting us or whoever is tempting us at that moment doesn't like us really being nice to other people and wants us to stay miserable. Mm -hmm. So those little things kind of counteract that. Also, highly yeah. recommend going to the Adoration Chapel and just sitting there, even if it's for three minutes, five minutes, and saying, Lord, I'm having a horrible day. Mm-hmm. Please help me. I don't know what else to do today. Yeah. And sometimes you just need to do that, even if it's for five minutes and, you know, or, or just taking a step back, sitting in your car if you can't make it to the yeah. Adoration Chapel and saying those things. Yeah, Show me what to do next. Right? Because, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's I, and so difficult that. to do. It is. Yeah, we want to be last charge. year. I remember last year with at this time of year, realizing that my the my awareness I I don't know what else to call it mm-hmm. of what's happening with others or in others was just being clouded by the self focus. And so all I did was mm-hmm. I just started praying for an awareness of what other people are feeling or yep. doing first, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's hard work to kind of do that because sometimes you sit there listening and say, like, hey, I got just to sit there and listen to somebody. But while they're talking, all, you got your thoughts going on about yourself. You know, mm-hmm. this happens all the time. And to, and that made me aware of I'm still self-focused here, you know. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. it, and it takes a practice to finally to, to continue to move toward being totally present to another or to what's happening around you with the people that are around you mm-hmm. but it can come with time with grace you know and and when that happens as you do put yourself behind in a way you find your own needs start to be filled as well yeah. you know it's yeah. a beautiful thing uh, as the lord changes that instinct well and and like you said also what comes with grace is the awareness because sometimes something is presented to you plain as day. I got another story, and it happened during the Christmas holidays. I was sent to the store by my wife. To We were missing one little item. I can't remember what it was. Anyway, uh, uh, I'm, I'm in the store searching. The store is crowded. It's a little crowded store. Something happened, and I won't go into detail. A young lady with her little girl, and it was like, there's my opportunity. It was just right there in front of me. And it was like, all I can think of, I got what I needed. I went to the checkout. I'm walking out to my truck and it is hitting me. I couldn't get her out of my head. And I went right back in the store and helped them out. And they just needed a little help with something. That's all there was to it. Changed my entire attitude towards Christmas, you know, for the season. It really did. It just made my Christmas that one little, little act, you know, 
And that was just yeah, given to yeah. me. It was given to me. It was handed in front of me like, there it is, buddy. Oh. You're going to do something about it or not. You know, it was wonderful. That's beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, in, in nine times out of ten, we just walk out and not you wouldn't have even noticed that. But no, just, like, I'm just saying, well, God, I hope, you know. I'm, mighty sense. Yeah, I'm praying for her, hoping she'll be all right. And it's like, wait, you know what? You could really do something and it's not that hard, you know. And it wasn't. And, again, it, it changed. It changed a lot for me. Well, and one of the things that I'm trying, so I said my New Year's resolutions was to kind of live in the moment, live in the present. And with days like today where it's super frigid outside and you just want to stay in bed and you're like, I don't want to get up. You know, I'm so tired. It's cold outside. I just want to stay warm. And then you're kind of running through the things of, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. But waking up with kind of a grateful heart and saying, thank you for letting me be alive today. Thank Mm -hmm. you for this warm home for my coffee cup in the morning and just little things, being able to do little things and and having that gratitude of the sun is up, you are alive today, you are breathing, you get to go to a job where you get to be with your family or you get to homeschool your kids or you get to do X, Y, and Z for that day. And that is a gift from God and just living in the moment, living in the present because there's always going to be bad news out there. There's always going to be the next big, oh my goodness, whether it's, in the church or in the world or in your neighborhood or whatever, you know, there's always going to be something, but waking up with that grateful heart it was actually Jeff Blackwell who taught me to uh, wake up and say, God, thank you. For thank you. Just be Put one foot today. down. That's the thank. Yeah. And the other foot down on the ground, it says you. And it's like that, that really yeah. sunk in. It really sunk in. But yeah. it's, it's the very thing that Johnny was saying. It is a, it is a drastic change of attitude and heart. And that's just not something that comes simple. It's, mm-hmm. it's quite But you really nailed it. it the, go ahead yeah the, yeah the, the, gratitude yeah Gabby, you're talking dave gratitude is the is the starting point because you really think about that you how do you have this awareness of what's happening with other people when you when yourself out in front well you're not going to be out self-consumed if you're starting mm-hmm. with yeah. a position of gratitude because that gratitude puts you in a position of humility and that means you're Mm-hmm. You're you're in a position now for the Lord to reveal to you His people and what's Absolutely. happening all around you. Absolutely. So starting with gratitude is the key. Indeed. Right? And speaking of grateful, we have uh, joining us early Dr. <laughs> Tom Neal, and uh, we consider him a family member and a loved one because he's been with us for years. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Chief of Evangelization and Mission <laughs> of Engagement in the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee, and uh, Dr. Neal. Good morning. It's good to hear from you again. Good morning. Thank you so much for uh, having me on today and, and even getting a little bit bonus time here. This yeah, morning. you do. How about that? You know, we were going to uh, we were going to touch. Well, we're going to talk about the baptism. Now, look, it's the, the, that feast has already yeah. happened. But I am so glad you're doing this because it always leaves we with so leaves me with with so many more questions. You know, when I'm reflecting on this gospel, you know, yeah. like like oh, why does why does Jesus need to be baptized? Right? Yeah. You know, and, no, and go ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, you're you're right. It, it is. It's it's, a, it's kind of a it's kind of a, a strange uh, not only action of Jesus being baptized by John in the Jordan, but just the feast right after Epiphany. So you have Jesus at Epiphany, the child Jesus revealed to the nations as the three magi come from the east who represent you know the non-Jews, the Gentile world. Uh, and then the day afterwards, suddenly Jesus is being baptized in the Jordan River. Thirty years later, Jesus is being baptized in the Jordan River. Right. And it, it's interesting because uh, 
Advent and Christmas, of course, are the beginning of a new liturgical season. They kind of begin our, our new year, so to speak. Okay. So Advent is that time of, of preparation before the Messiah comes, of waiting, of expectation, of longing, and then he comes, he's born uh, into the world. And then on Epiphany, which is the 12th day of Christmas, right, the end of this season, the child that's born is now revealed to the world in the Magi. So you have that. And then immediately after that feast, you have the baptism, which right. is Jesus is revealing himself, appearing to uh, Israel now. He's revealing himself to Israel at the beginning of his public ministry. So it's like, it's like two epiphanies. There's one epiphany where he appears to the world, to the three magi, who represents the Gentiles. And then the next day, you have the baptism, where he reveals himself now to Israel as the Messiah, mm. who's about to inaugurate his public ministry. And so you have two liturgical seasons here. You have Advent and Christmas that are now over, and then now you begin ordinary time, as Johnny mentioned earlier. This is ordinary time. Right. And I'll just mention this briefly, and after the break we'll get back to it. All right. But ordinary time doesn't mean ordinary like boring. It right. means ordinaries in Latin means <laughs> counting. So these are the days of counting after Epiphany. So from after Epiphany until Ash Wednesday, we count the Sundays. So Epiphany is a defining season, and then we wait for the beginning of Lent. And right. when we get to, the after the break, I'll explain more why the Feast of Baptism is a perfect preparation for Lent and sequel to Epiphany. Wow. Okay. Uh, you have you have definitely and, and, set the table there for us, too. I, I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and do I have one more? One more yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Off. Sure. So, so, so you just think of the, because this carnival season now, of course, which is a, just a, such a wonderful, joyous season. And the colors of Carnival are kind of the liturgical seasons we're traversing right now. Right? Right. We go from the gold of Epiphany of the King, uh -huh. who has been manifested, the baby Jesus, to the Magi, right. uh, who receives gold. And then we go to the green of ordinary time, which is the color of hope, Yep. Uh, the green of ordinary time. And then we go to the purple of Lent. Lent. So Beautiful. All right. Well, look, we're going to come right back with you, Dr. Neil. We're going to pick up where you left off. We'll be right back. It's bottom of the hour on Wake Up. Thirty-five past the hour. You are tuning your heart to the truth. I'm David Dawson, along with Gabby Smith and Johnny A. Bear, and we're continuing our conversation with Dr. Tom Neal. If you're just joining us, he is the chief of evangelization and mission engagement in the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee, which is where I want to be right now. Good morning, Dr. Neal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, on the beach. Yeah, that's all I can think of. On the beach. Yeah, I'm, right. I'm sure I can hear seagulls in the background while you're talking. Can't you just see my office is right there on the beach, yes. right, right by the water? Palm trees. Yeah. Yep, I know how that works. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> hey, keep but, imagining that, Johnny. <laughs> hey, hey, uh, uh, Doctor Neal, you know where I'd like to, you know where I'd like to uh, pick up where we left off. You were talking about the colors. We had to cut away because the music was playing. And everything. Can can you go over that again? Just a little recap. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So the so the beautiful these beautiful colors. So carnival season is this kind of season that straddles Epiphany to Ash Wednesday. It's kind of this between season. It's, yep. And, it, and it, it catches the themes of all three uh, seasons of Christmas, which culminates in Epiphany, of ordinary time, which are the days of counting after Epiphany that lead up till the beginning of Lent on Ash Wednesday, which this year will be on Valentine's Day. <laughs> 
unfortunately. Yeah. No sweet stuff. How's, how's that going to uh, work out? Yeah, that's another story. <laughs> that's right, exactly. This is about as early as Lent can begin, so it's the shortest, I think it's one of the shortest carnival seasons we can have. And then you have uh, Lent. So you have the three colors. So you have the gold for the king, right, who's been manifested to the nations with the Magi coming and bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Mm-hmm. So it's this kind of royal revelation. You have the green of ordinary time. So ordinary time or the days of counting, um, which, and by the way, ordinary, so if, if Advent is the preparation for Christ's coming, Christmas is the season of the coming of Christ and his birth. Ordinary time is the celebration of the hidden life of Jesus mm-hmm. from his childhood through his adolescence into his young adulthood up okay. until the beginning of his public ministry, and then through the three years of his ministry up to Palm Sunday. So ordinary time takes us through the mystery of that whole period of the 33 years of his growing and then his ministry. Okay, That's green. And green is the season of hope, right? It is the symbol of hope. So, right. so, so hope. And then Lent is purple, uh, the season of penitence. So, so carnival season is that straddling season where all three colors are somehow brought into this kind of between season of of having celebrated the king, uh, entering into the ordinary time, uh, and then preparing for the great fast. And carnival, you know, comes from the Latin carne vale, which Mm -hmm. means goodbye meat, (laughs) farewell meat, right, for the great Mm -hmm. fast that's about to begin. So anyway, so it's kind of beautiful how those colors are kind of liturgically based. That is, uh, and make us think about that. That is, that, that is beautiful? beautiful, and I feel sorry for the rest of the country who just they're missing out on that part, right? <laughs> they are, they are missing out yeah. right, on the beauty of how, how. I mean, in so many ways, right? That liturgy has shaped our sense of time, but we've lost the reason that the time has been shaped the way it is. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, even the weekend, right? The weekend is based around the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath which is God's gift to the world, but we've lost its kind of sense of meaning. So there's so many ways that time has been structured. But yeah, but just to the point about the Jordan yeah. River and Jesus' baptism, so right. the feast on Monday, which is just, it's a beautiful feast, and it launches ordinary time, and it launches us into the public ministry of Jesus. But Jesus comes to the Jordan River at the age of 30, Luke tells us, at the age of 30. is really neat. Otherwise, if Luke hadn't mentioned that detail, we'd never know how old Jesus was. Mm-hmm. So he comes to the Jordan River, and John has already been for quite a while standing by the Jordan River, baptizing people in a baptism of repentance and, and kind of speaking out his motto of not only repentance, but prepare the way of the Lord, right? right. So, so John has this intense sense of calling as a prophet to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. Um, so, so when Jesus comes to the Jordan River... Uh, and kind of exits his hidden life and now goes into his public life, he wants to link his mission and ministry with John's mission and ministry. He wants okay. to make clear that what John prepared for, he is the fulfillment of. And yes. Of course, all of the interaction between the two of them, like uh, uh, on the Sunday coming up, for example, we hear John at the Jordan say of Jesus to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right. So John is confessing who he is. So Jesus comes to the Jordan. Now Jesus comes to the Jordan, and John is doing a baptism of repentance, and John sees Jesus and is like, you are not going to be baptized. Right. You have no need for <laughs> repentance. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But Jesus right. says, it must be so for, to fulfill all righteousness, which means that Jesus has come as the innocent Lamb of God who has come to take on all the sins of the world, right? Who has come to identify himself with human sin. Paul even says that he becomes 
sin for us, which is stunning. He takes it all right. on himself in order to take those sins away from us, to forgive us, to bring us forgiveness. And so when Jesus goes down into the Jordan River, he takes on himself all the sins of the world that have been placed in those waters symbolically through the repentance of the people who've been baptized there. And then he comes out, and all the waters of the world at that moment have been sanctified, made holy and capable of removing sin, like wow. what baptism is. So yeah, so in that moment in the Jordan, all waters were now prepared to become water of the baptismal font that will strip away the sins of the world and take them away. And by the way, that language of take away the sins of the world right. when, when John, it is the language of Yom Kippur. On the Feast of Yom Kippur, the Jews, when there was a temple, the high priest would take a young goat, a, a lamb of a goat, uh, and ritually place his hands on the goat and lay on the goat all the sins of Israel from that year and then drove that goat into the desert. The scapegoat. Yeah, the scapegoat, precisely, to Mm -hmm. take away the sins of Israel. So so now Jesus is the true scapegoat who has come to take them away. And so where does Jesus go immediately after he's baptized in the Jordan? What happens? Mark says the Spirit immediately drove him out into the desert. Wow. That's wow. extraordinary. That is. And, and what happens in the desert? He, he faces the one who is the origin of sin, the, the tempter himself, and he conquers him. Mm-hmm. And now that he's conquered the very source of sin, he can go into the world now and liberate humanity from that curse. So his mission can only come after his baptism, after his becoming scapegoat, after his confronting the evil one and conquering his temptations, And now he goes, and like today's gospel, he's driving out demons and he heals a sickness. This is all the result of his having taken on the sin of the world and its results, which are sickness, possession, death, and slavery to sin. All of that now he's come to liberate us from. So so the baptism of the Jordan is this extraordinary event of Jesus' rescuing us. And in many ways, his going down into the river of sin is a preparation for what will happen on the cross when he, in reality, mm. takes on the sins of the world, and then in the resurrection comes out of the waters of death and then rises up to take us with him into the kingdom, into the promised land itself. So wow. it's a rich feat. Mm. That's, it really is. Mm. And Dr. Dr. Neil, I, you know, I, we often struggle with this whole concept of the Trinity, but this event, we actually have this visible manifestation yes. of Father's Son. Oh, that's right. It's all right that, there. Talk about yeah. that, because this is really, yeah, it... Yeah, it puts into... Uh, yeah, you can talk about if you have a yeah. minute to talk about it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's... <laughs> there's no such thing as a minute in my right. language, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I will... So, yeah, actually, Johnny, I'm glad you said that. In the, in my, my father, who's deceased now, was Orthodox, and in the Orthodox Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, that feast is called the Theophany. Theophany in Greek means the appearing of God. So, in other words, at the Jordan River... For the first time, Israel gets to see that their one God is actually three persons. Gosh. Because when the sun goes down into the water, the heavens rip open, and the voice of the Father thunders, You are my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Mm-hmm. And then the Spirit descends like a dove from heaven and rests on Jesus. And so the Trinity has now been manifest to Israel for the first time publicly. And, and there's no mistake that it happens at the baptism, because at our baptism, 
we are adopted as sons and daughters of the Father and become temples of the Holy Spirit because Jesus has prepared the way for that by his own baptism, and we become theophanies. We become appearings of the Holy Trinity in the world by living out our sonship, our daughtership worthily, and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us and manifest his action and gifts in the world. So we become living theophanies. You did it again, Dr. Neal. Uh, That that is rich. That is rich. I can't wait to talk to you again. I'm looking forward to that. Appreciate you joining us again. All right. God bless. (laughs) We come back. Gabby's going to be talking to another doctor, Dr. Jordan Haddad. It's... It is 48 past the hour. You are tuning your heart to the truth. Our next guest is Dr. Jordan Haddad. He's a professor of dogmatic theology over at Notre Dame Seminary in New Orleans and president of the St. Louis the Ninth Art Society. And today for our Catholic 101 segment, we are talking about our conscience. What happens when it contradicts our faith? Dr. Haddad, thank you so much for being with us. And I'm sure we have had this question at one point in time, and many of us are probably struggling with this right now. Uh, So take us through it. What do we do? Yeah, hey, Gabby. It's great to be with you all this morning. Um, And talking about conscience is really important because it's a a really key element of the Church's faith Mm -hmm. with respect to how we live in our day-to-day life and how we're moral beings and creatures who you know, who follow God and freedom and goodness and truth. Um, So conscience is really interesting because of all the creatures on the earth, we human beings alone have the ability to to know and freely live in accordance Mm -hmm. with that which is good and true. Because unlike other creatures, we're made in God's image. And this with this image comes the ability to follow his laws follow his commands and our thoughts, our deeds, our words. And this power by which we're able to live in accordance with that which is good and true is called conscience, which the Catechism defines as, quote, a judgment of reason whereby the human person recognizes the moral quality of our concrete acts, end quote. Now, what's really interesting about our consciences is that it is, as it were, a way in which God reveals himself to us through his laws and commands inwardly and in a wholly natural way. Because when our consciences are well-formed and we're sensitive to its judgments, it's, it really is the voice of God echoing in the depths of our hearts and souls. It's what John Henry Newman calls the aboriginal vicar of Christ. Now, I mentioned that before, uh, I mentioned before that our conscience is a judgment of reason, which is to say that mm-hmm. our conscience isn't simply a feeling per se, although feelings often accompany the judgment of our conscience. But the, our conscience is oftentimes an intuition, right? But it's an intuition and a judgment of our actions through the application of the basic moral principles that we have come to know. Things like do good and avoid evil, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, love God above all things, and so on, just a few examples. And so our conscience, when it's properly formed, is a witness to the law of God that stands above us and within us, and it's an application and judgment of this law to the concrete circumstances in, in which we live and the choices that we make. 
Now, with that in mind, we should also recognize that we human beings inherit the state of original sin, which means that we are not as we ought to be because we suffer the effects of the fall. Right? We have darkened minds, weakened wills, and a disordering of our passions. And as a result, this affects both how we experience our consciences, because we can be so disconnected from it that it can be difficult to perceive its judgments, and it affects the way in which it's, it's formed, because there's the very real possibility that our consciences are, are poorly formed and thus incapable of adequately judging good and evil, right and wrong with respect to our actions and the actions of others. And so as a result, it's extremely important for us that we always seek to form our consciences in accordance with God's commands and laws, which for us Catholics most readily is accessed through the teachings of Christ and the Church. Now, when it comes to a a conflict between the judgment of our conscience and the commands and laws of our faith, the Church actually very interestingly teaches that we should always obey the certain judgment of our conscience. We should always obey the certain judgment of our conscience. As paragraph 1790 of the Catechism says, quote, if, we, if he were deliberately to act against it, he, meaning us, would condemn himself, ourselves. Yet it can happen that moral conscience remains in ignorance and makes erroneous judgments about acts to be performed or already committed, end quote. So in other words, when we have certainty about the rightness or wrongness of a given thing, we should follow the judgment of our conscience because our conscience is what testifies in the deepest possible way to what we ought to do or not do. Because it's more than just a feeling. It's more than just what we, what we want to be good and want to be true. It, it is our deepest conviction and testimony to that good or true thing. But as the Catechism points out, this doesn't mean that following our consciences makes what we do morally good or evil, because we can have poorly formed consciences that would erroneously convict us of what's right and what's wrong. And so if we ever find ourselves in a situation where our conscience is at odds with our faith, with the teachings of Christ, the teachings of His Church, then we could be certain that we're not operating from well-formed consciences. And so we shouldn't proceed forward until we can better form our conscience to be in accordance with God's law. Because even though we wouldn't incur moral culpability for acting in accordance with the certain judgment of our conscience, we nonetheless never want to do anything that would objectively go against God's laws and commands, because that inevitably harms us and the people around us. That's so interesting. So what can we do? Would you recommend going and speaking to a priest or kind of, kind of diving a little bit deeper and looking at reliable church teaching websites or something? I'm trying to think of ways that we can go and Reform kind of it. dig deeper into, right. yeah, into this topic. And we have about a minute left, Dr. Haddad, real quick. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so the, the law of God that our conscience responds to is made uh, most evident and manifest in the teachings of Christ, right? Because Christ is God. And so what Christ is teaching us through his words and deeds, it's really what God is trying to speak to us through our consciences. So the best way to form our conscience is to listen to the voice of Christ, which means reading the Gospels, you know, meditating upon his word, 
allowing that word to seek deeply within us. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to particular questions that the Gospels don't address, that Christ doesn't address directly, well, that's the gift of his church that unfolds the teachings of Christ and is able to better apply them to the many different circumstances of life. And so, you know, familiarizing yourself with, you know, with the catechism, um, especially that section, section three on the moral life, you know, becomes the best possible way that we can properly form our conscience and thus have the conviction and the certitude that when, when our conscience does testify to a given thing, that we're operating from a well-formed conscience. There you as go. Opposed to okay. Poorly formed well, thank you well so yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Jordan Haddad, Professor of Dogmatic Theology at Notre Dame Seminary. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you all. All right. That was awesome. Wow. Yeah. What a wonderful show. Yeah, you know, yeah. today so was many rich. of us, yeah. Yeah, it really was. I mean, uh, where else can you hear theologians like this and yeah. also just uh, touch the heart there with our gospel today? Indeed. Well, mm-hmm. we're remembering St. Gregory of Nyssa today, and so we're going to go out with a prayer. This is called the Prayer of St. Gregory of Nyssa. Well, this is beautiful. As we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, from you flows true and continual kindness. You had cast us off, and justly so, but in your mercy you forgave us. You were at odds with us, and you reconciled us. You had us banished from the garden, and then you called us back again. You took away the fig leaves that had been an unsuitable garment, and you clothed us in a cloak of great value. You flung wide the prison gates, and you gave the condemned a pardon, sprinkling water on us, washing away our sins. So, Lord, may we praise your name forever for your kindness toward us, your people. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to Jeff Blackwell, our audio director, and Karen Cotton, our video technical director. We're so grateful for you both. And we'll join you again tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Central Time. Dr. Mark Williams from the Diocese of Homotibido will update us on Catholic schools. David Dawson Jr. will talk about marriage and family life. And we're talking about a new prayer book with Stephen Nelson. Have a wonderful Wednesday. Wake Up is a production of Catholic Community Media.